Well, the other day, I was feeling a bit down, so I turned to the internet for comfort. And very quickly, I found a warm virtual arm around my shoulder. Before, I felt like my life wasn't a success. But I found something that told me that the secret of happiness is that it's all about you, all about me. And then I felt better about indulging myself because Google told me that life revolves around me, so I should take some me time. And then I found a book that says that the secret of health, happiness and love is discovering that I'm actually the most important person in my life. And then finally I was assured by Google that today is my day. That's great, isn't it? Life is all about me today. So now that's on my screensaver, so not just today, but every day as I open up my computer, I'm reminded that every day today is all about me. Now, of course, I'm being ridiculous, aren't I? And we all know, if we're older than about four, that life doesn't actually revolve around us. At least we know that in our heads, don't we? But actually, in my heart, I still often think that life should actually revolve around me. And if we're honest, I think we often uh, have at least moments when we think that life is all about me. Because we all have a tendency to be self-centred. But as God's people, we know that's not the case, don't we? We know that life's not all about me. And so at least in our better moments, we genuinely want to serve God and to serve each other, seek the good of his people in the life of the church. And we rightly understand that God has a special calling and purpose for the church, for us, as his people. But because we're human, we naturally think that we, God's people, the church, are kind of at the centre of things. We know that it's not really about me, but perhaps it's all about us. After all, Jesus died for us. Surely the church is at the centre of God's plans and purposes. Well, today on Vision Sunday, we're going to pause and look at a crucial passage of the Bible that Aaron just read to us that talks about what, what it is that's central to God's purposes in the world and where God's people, the church, fit into that. We're going to see that, yes, it is true that the church is central to what God is doing in the world. But there's a bigger picture than that. We're going to see that what's behind everything, including our calling as God's people, is God's glory. And that glory being made known to the world. And at the end of the day, it's not about me, it's not about us. It's about God. And we'll see that God has given us, the church, a special purpose, that he has sent us into the world so that the world might know Jesus. And he calls us 
as we do that, to be a reflection of himself. He calls us to be one as he is one. He calls us to love with a radical Trinitarian love that the Father and the Son have for each other. So today is like a refresher. If you've been here for a while, it's, it won't be new. It's going back to basics of looking at what we, why we do what we do, the reason we come here every Sunday. So let's pray as we come to God's Word. Father, we thank you that we can take time to pause and reflect uh, again afresh about what your purpose for us is and what the, the, big, uh, the big picture of, the, of, of your work in this, in this world is all about. Father, as we do that, help us to understand afresh that it's not all about us, but it's all about you and your glory. Help us understand, Lord, that we are sent into the world and what that means. And help us see with clear eyes that we are called to be one as you are one. And help us to be committed to be radically different to the world around us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I chose John 17 to, uh, for Vision Sunday because it's Jesus' prayer to the Father for all believers. Jesus prays for his original disciples in the prayer uh, as he is about to leave them behind and go to the cross. Uh, And then ultimately he will return to the Father as he is is resurrected. But at the same time, as Jesus is praying for the original disciples, he is praying for all believers. He is praying for us as he talks about the purpose and calling of God's people. And so this prayer tells us a lot about God's purpose for the church. Jesus' prayer is for us just as much as it was for the original disciples. As I said before, this chapter is a refresher course, a crucial reset button for us as we start a new year. It reminds us what we're here for and what we are to be doing. And the first part of the prayer gives us a clear big picture of what God is doing through the church and even beyond the church. He makes it clear that it's all about glorifying God. It's all about God. That's the first line of the prayer in verse 1. I'll have the Bible verses up on the screen so you can follow along with me. Father, Jesus says, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. Now in John's Gospel in particular, Jesus being glorified is a kind of code that refers to his death on the cross. And that's what's in view here. Uh, Very shortly after praying this prayer, Jesus knows that he will be be, uh, arrested Uh, tried and convicted and crucified on the cross. The hour has come for him to be handed over to the Jewish leaders to set off a chain of events uh, that will end in his death. And he also knows that through that death he will be glorified. He repeats the prayer again in verse 5. 
And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. The fact that Jesus begins this prayer by talk asking that the, he and the Father will be glorified points to the importance that glory is in God's big picture. That's the number one goal for the prayer. That's the most important thing in God's plan. And everything that follows, everything that Jesus prays for his people is a subset of God's glory. In other words, all the things that Jesus prays for contribute to God being glorified. And further on, Jesus links glory directly to what he do, his disciples do. Verse 10, all I have is yours and all you have is mine and glory has come to me through them, that is, his disciples. Now why all this concern for glory? Not only does Jesus want his Father to be glorified, but he asks that he himself will be glorified. It's a bit hard for us to relate to, isn't it? Because when we do it, when we seek our own glory, it's, it's generally seen as being bad form, isn't it? It's generally frowned upon. If I got up here this morning and said to you, um, as, I, as I speak today, I, I'd like to be glorified, thanks, then you would quite rightly think that I'm very full of myself and hopefully you'd tell me to pull my head in. But with God, it's different, isn't it? Because he's not like us. He's not, uh, he doesn't need to stroke his ego. That's not what it's about. God's glory, as we'll see in this prayer, is about making himself known to the world, about revealing himself and the world being saved through that. And, at the same time, about things being made right in the world when the world has a right relationship with God. That's because he's our maker. He is our king. And so God being glorified is a matter of recognising the rightful order of the universe. It's for our good, where everything fits into place. We benefit and the whole of creation benefits when we let God be king. When we recognise our dependence on him and we live in gratitude and humility to him. And he, as he is glorified, things fit into place, into their rightful place. And we realise our full humanity. We, we realise our full potential and become who we truly are meant to be. So it's helpful to start off the year by being reminded that our purpose here is to glorify God. Now again, if you're, if you're a Christian, if you've been here with us for a while, I know you know that, right? And, and you would no doubt be able to tell any visitor who comes in who asks, well, why do we meet here each Sunday? You'd be able to say, well, we, we meet to glorify God. You know that. But it's easy for us to lose our perspective, I think. Because we're human, it's easy for us to slip into doing stuff for for its own sake or for what we can get out of it. 
We heard earlier on uh, in the service that community groups, CGs, are getting up and running for the year. It can be easy if you're part of a CG for uh, you to just come to CG because that's what we do. That's what we've always done. Um, you might enjoy meeting together, studying the Bible, praying, enjoying each other's company. But essentially you just do it because that's what we always do. Or maybe we come to CGs for what we can get out of it. There's nothing wrong with benefiting from CGs and enjoying them. In fact, we hope that you really do uh, enjoy coming to CGs. But what I want to say is that what should motivate us at the end of the day isn't that it's enjoyable or fulfilling, not even that I learn stuff from the Bible about God, but because it's pleasing to God when believers meet together. It helps us to love him and trust him more. And so we do that for God's glory. And we should ask us with everything that we do, is God really glorified in this? That means does it contribute to people knowing about God, coming to him, loving him? It's no use just doing the stuff we do because that's tradition or because we've already always done it or because Pete or Marshall tell you to do it. No. The litmus test for everything we do should be how is God glorified? How is God glorified in what we do? So the church is here to glorify God. It's not about us. It's about him. Secondly, the church is sent into the world. Jesus' disciples and those who came after him, that is all believers, including us, are sent by Jesus into the world. Have a look at verse 18. As you sent me into the world, Jesus says, I have sent them into the world. But it appears from what Jesus says in this prayer that our relationship with the world is a complex one. It's not simple. Firstly, Jesus says that we are not part of this world. Verse 14, I've given them your word and the world has hated them. For they are not part, they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. We are not part of the world just as Jesus was not part of the world. What's that mean? Because Jesus was surely part of this world when he was here on earth. Uh, he lived in a house as part of a community. He mixed with the people around him. He was very definitely physically present in the world. But what it means was that he didn't live like the world. He didn't live by their values. He wasn't motivated by the things of the world. Money, status, comfort, security, whatever it was. And of course, we know that Jesus butted heads against those with power. He refused to live as they lived and they hated him for it and they killed him for it. And Jesus says the world will hate us as well and for the same reason. 
when we're living as we're supposed to as Christians, we butt heads against our culture. Our world will never accept the gospel message that we are sinners, that judgment is coming, that we have a king who we are answerable to, that we can't save ourselves. The world hates that message and it always will. So we live by the gospel message and live like Jesus did. We are to live in the world but not of the world, not as the world does. In other words, we are to be distinctly Christian. We are to be different to the world. But being different to the world doesn't mean being shut off from the world, being cocooned from the world. We know that from the life of Jesus, right? How did Jesus live in the world? He wasn't cocooned off from the world. He didn't live in a monastery. He was criticised with cavorting with tax collectors and sinners. He was accused of eating and drinking and partying with the low life of the world. He went out of his way to spend time with prostitutes and the rejects of society, didn't he? With the people that the Pharisees and the respectable people wouldn't touch with a 40-foot pole. As Jesus was sent by the Father, so we are sent into the world by him. And so surely that means following his example and going to the kind of places that he went to, going to the, to the people that he went to, where the needs are the greatest, where the needs for people to hear the gospel are greatest. People like prostitutes, the kinds of people who aren't reached by our culture and our society and by the church. The kinds of people who will never front up on our doorstep. They're the people that we sent to. And that's where the sent part of the mission comes in. Jesus was sent by the Father to go out to the hard places. And for us, being sent surely means to physically go out into the world. I made the point a moment ago that the neediest people in our society will probably never come through our doors. And so if we don't go out to them, how are they going to hear the gospel? We just had an invitation month. Uh, and I was really encouraged by uh, a number of new people, uh, as Brett prayed for um, a little while ago, um, people who visited during um, invitation month. And God willing, some of, some of those people will stay with us. Uh, and, and some of those people will do Alpha, which is so encouraging. It's a great opportunity to invite friends along and... Uh, we had a number of people, surprisingly, who just came from seeing us on the internet. But the reality is that as good as Invitation Month is and events like that, we can't rely on those things for people to come to us. Because people coming to us is going to happen less and less as our culture moves further and further away from God.
and where coming to church is seen as being more and more weird. People just don't do it. And so they're going to do it less and less. And so our calling as a church is to be out into the world whilst at the same time not being of the world. I want to suggest that there are many things that we can do to go out into the world where people are with the gospel. Um, Just a few simple thoughts. You can join a touch footy team or an ultimate frisbee team that I know our church uh, has done. Uh, and, and especially to seek out teams where they're non-Christians as well as Christians and, and befriend them. Look for ways to share the gospel with them. You can get involved with an organised ministry that goes out into the community with the gospel. Uh, something that we're doing again this year that we did last year is the peace tent in Lakemba to the Muslim community. That's happening again this year. And I'd love for some more Swek people to come with us. You can also do an unstructured version of of Alpha in your own home, like an informal version where you have a meal, invite uh, your neighbour or your work colleague around to your house, have a meal together and just read the Bible together. A great way to share about Jesus. If we are serious about people coming to know Jesus, we must be sent out from the church into the world. One more point about being sent into the world. We are sent into the world with the word of God. Have a look at verse, oh, we're still in verse 14. I have given given them your word and the world has hated them. The reason the world hates us, as you can see there from verse 14, is because of the word. What's the word? It's the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus. But Jesus has given it to us, given it to the church, entrusted us with it, and we are to take it to the world. Yes, as we do that, that invites opposition because the world hates the gospel but we must take the word without the word the mission is useless without the gospel we've got nothing to tell the world and even though the word brings opposition at the same time it also brings life have a look at verse 20 my prayer is not for them alone I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. Uh, that word, uh, their, the word for message, is literally the word. They will, who, they will believe in me through their word. That's the word of the gospel. So as we go into the world, our purpose is to bring that word to the world and that's the way that people come to know Jesus. That's how you came to know Jesus. That's how I came to know Jesus at some point, through the word of God. So the church and God's word go together. It's like an opal card, hey, when you catch a train and you leave home without your opal card, you're stuck, you've got to go back and get it. You've got to have your opal card with you 
when you go out. And it's like that with us. We can't leave home without the gospel, without the word. We are sent into the world with the word. Final thing I want to talk about this morning, uh, the other major focus of Jesus' prayer for believers, our third point, is that uh, we are to be one as Jesus is one with the Father. Verse 11, Jesus says, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Then Jesus prays again, this time explicitly for all believers who will come after his original disciples. Verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Notice that both of these verses, uh, in both of these verses is the idea of being one based on the oneness of Jesus and the Father. We are to be one as Jesus and the Father are one. Now this prayer in chapter 18 comes at the end of a whole section um, in John's Gospel where Jesus explains at length about his relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit isn't mentioned in verses in chapter 18, but he is a major focus in chapters 14 to 17. And throughout this section, Jesus makes it clear that the Father and the Spirit have a relation, that he has a relationship with the Father and the Spirit um, within what is called the Godhead. That is absolutely inseparable. There is one God, but three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are all dependent on each other. They live in communion with one another. In chapter 18, Jesus talks about glorifying the Father and the Father glorifying the Son. They live in inseparable uh, love and dependence on each other. And this part of the Bible has had a big part in the church developing what we call the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, now, the doctrine of the Trinity is famously difficult to understand and no one can really get their heads around what it means for there to be one God and yet three persons. How does that work? But the important thing for our purposes today is to get the point that the relationship between the Father, the Son and the Spirit is based on love a complete lack of ego and competitiveness. And the goal of each person within the Godhead is to glorify each other, to love each other, to lift each other up. It's really everything that relationships in this world are not. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't good human relationships. There definitely are. But even the best of human relationships, even the best marriages and friendships and family relationships are all tainted by sin. Our ego and self-centeredness get in the way. Even the most godly person can't escape that. Jesus prays that we may be, as, may be one just as the Father and the Son are one.
So this oneness is all about reflecting that relationship within the Trinity, relating to each other as Jesus and the Father relate. And this isn't so much about being like-minded and it certainly doesn't mean that we have to agree on everything. Now there is an element of being like-minded that we be of like mind in terms of what we believe, the, the essential truths of the Bible, that we agree that Jesus is both God and man, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose from the dead. Those things we do agree on. That's important. But the oneness that Jesus is talking about is more to do with how we relate to one another. That we behave like we connected to each other and not just a bunch of individuals. That we live for the benefit of each other, not just ourselves. That we live in submission to each other, preferring to see others, the needs of others met before our own needs are met. That we practice sacrificial love towards each other, going out of our way to serve each other, even to the point where it hurts. And when we do those things, when we live that way, it's a powerful witness to our world. Have a look at verse 22. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And I've highlighted this next bit. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So it's a powerful witness to be one as Jesus and the Father are one because it's radically different to the world and the, and the way that the world relates and it shows the world what God is like and who he is. The world talks about love and the world genuinely wants, seeks love. But the world's love always falls short because it's always derailed by sin in some way. And that's illustrated in our culture by what I said at the beginning where I was facetiously talking about uh, the messaging of things like it's all about you. Meaning that, yes, I want love, I seek love, but the bottom line of any relationship is that I have to come first. I am king or I am queen. And at the end of the day, you have to come after me. But Jesus says that his people are to come after him. He is king. And as we follow him in our relationship with each other, I am to come after you. We are to put each other before ourselves. And so we are to be one. And as we do that, we are sent into the world. The world takes notice. Our actions speak louder than our words. But the world needs to hear our words as well. Gospel words. And the way that they hear those words is if they see us walking the talk. Living the gospel in the way that we are one. The world may not like the words that we speak, but what will grab their attention is when they see authenticity. 
to see that the gospel works as we exhibit real love to one another, real submission, real service and sacrifice. And so, friends, as we start a new year, it's helpful for us to pause and think about what we are here for. When we gather together like this on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday during the week for a community group or whatever gathering uh, we have together, let's remember why we are here. We are here to glorify God. It's not about us. It's all about Him. Let's not be content with a cosy club, a holy huddle that doesn't venture beyond the comfort of just mixing with each other. But let's consider how we can be sent out into the world, taking the word with us. And let's keep working at how we relate to the world by showing that we are one, by holding up a way of living with each other that is radically countercultural, radically loving, and pointing the world to Jesus. I'm going to get the band up now, and as we do that, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this word in John 17, and we thank you that it's so appropriate as we think about our purpose and as we start a new year. Lord, we pray that as we, um, as we kick off our ministries this year and think about what we're doing this year, that it may be soaked in the idea that we are here to glorify you, that we may have that perspective that it's not about us, it's about you. We pray, Father, that uh, we may uh, take your word uh, out, out with us and we might do that in a way that we are one, that we seek not our own glory, that we seek not to put ourselves first, but we seek to love each other as you uh, have loved the Father. And we pray that as we do that, we might be a powerful witness that we might go uh, beyond these walls and be willing to love the world around us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.